this morning we're going to be talking about got problems? Welcome to Christianity. <laughs> so, okay, I want to I want to see who has problems here. Raise your hand in, this morning if if you have any problems with your family. Okay, raise your family. Ra- raise your hand. Raise your family. <laughs> raise your hand if you uh, if you have trouble with your relationships, finances. Just life in general. Maybe the, the, the problem is the person you brought with you next to you. Don't, don't be jabbing. Maybe they're in the, maybe they're in the kids, kids' church. You know, maybe you're dealing with some real problems. So guess what? You're not alone, all right? Welcome to Christianity. Um, God has not promised us a troubled, free life. But what he has promised us is to help us through every challenge that life throws at us. Amen? So, Max Cicado said it best, lower your expectations of earth. This isn't heaven, so don't expect it to be. Amen, right? This is not our, this is not our, our final place. We're aliens, honestly. We're meant for heaven. So, countless times, there's been people that I've led to Christ or are new believers in Christ, and they've come to me, and they're like, Pastor Cameron, man, I, I just don't understand. Like, I thought whenever I gave my life to Jesus, everything would be Honky door, everything would be peaceful. All my problems would just be magically gone away. No, they're still there. But guess what? Now you got a helper. The creator of the universe is living and residing on the inside. He said, Now you have a you have a helper. Okay? Isn't that isn't that encouraging? And you know, I, I see a lot of new believers get down and they're like, Man, I I just I, life is really hard. The things that I used to do, I hate doing and I have conviction over them. And I used to do them without, you know, without even thinking about it. Now I can't go to the club. I can't drink. And, like, I, I can't smoke like I used to. And, like, I, I, I want to, but I, I had this struggle. Inside, and I didn't have that struggle before. And then also you got a target on your back. Once you, once you give your life over to Christ, guess what? Satan hates you. You know, he always hates you. But, like, now he really hates you. And so life in itself is going to be kind of hard, okay? So, a realistic view of life. Let's talk about it. Let's take two powerful scriptures, and we're going to dissect them a little bit right here. So Psalms 34, 19, NLT version says, The righteous person faces many troubles. But this, read the next part. Everybody say it with me. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Each time. Yes, we're going to face some hard times. We're going to face some troubles. But each time. The Lord rescues us. In Psalms 34, 19, the Amplified Version says, Many hardships and perplexing circumstances confront the righteous, but the Lord rescues him from them all. That's, mm. John 16, 33, NLT says, I have told you that, in, that all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, the life application study notes on this says, with these words, he, which is Jesus, told his disciples to take courage in spite of all inevitable struggles they would face. They would not be alone. Jesus does not abandon us to our struggles either. If we remember that the ultimate victory has already been won, we can claim the peace of Christ in the most troublesome times. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Even though we're facing troubled times right now, we have overwhelming victory in Christ Jesus. So there's one solid undeniable truth with these two verses. If we live in this world, we're going to face some challenges. All right. 
So how many of you guys would prefer to live a problem-free life? This problem-free, wake up and not have to worry about anything. Raise your hand. Yeah, I would too. All right, so how many of you guys like Tony Cook? He was here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he has this book called Through the Storms, and I, this is an excerpt from there. He says, I heard a story about a man who went down for prayer at the church service. The minister asked him uh, how he could pray for him. The man said, I want you to pray that I'll never have any more troubles with the devil. And then, do you want me to pray that you'll die? The minister responded. The man said, no, 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 no. So the minister informed him that the only way in this world that you're never going to have any more troubles with the devil is if you're dead, right? So Henry Beecher said, you've come into a hard world. I know of only one easy place in it, and that's the grave. Isn't that encouraging? No. <laughs> encouraging word on Sunday morning. You're going to have troubles till you're dead. Yay. Praise the Lord. All right. So how about this? You're like, man, you know what? I've made some really dumb decisions. I've, I've been really, I've made some really stupid decisions in my life. What if from this point on, I lived an absolute perfect life. I didn't make any stupid decisions. I didn't think anything stupid. And I lived a perfect life from this point on. Wouldn't that be awesome? Do you think that you would live, you know, a peaceful, uh, you know, problem-free life? Well, we're going to talk about that. Uh, is there any man that comes to mind whenever you think about a living a perfect, every decision was perfect life? Anybody think of Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus for a little bit. Let's, let's see, God, God sent Jesus to earth, and the first thing that happened was an evil king tried to put a hit out on him. He was a kid, and a, an assassin, assassination squad attempted to kill him while he was still a child. So his first years of, of here on earth, a king wanted to kill him. All right, so Jesus was reviled, hated, despised, and accused of being a blasphemer by the Pharisees. And on many occasions, people tried to kill him. As you know, see, like Jesus kind of weaved his way out because it wasn't his time. Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. In Mark 3, 21, it says, And when those who belonged to him, his kinsmen, heard it, they went out to take him by force, for they kept saying, He is out of his mind beside himself, deranged. So as you see, his own family betrayed him, came against him, thought he was crazy. And then Jesus's close friend betrayed him, Judas. And then eventually he was crucified. So you gotta see, like Jesus lived this perfect life. Every decision that he made was meticulous and well thought out and spirit led. And guess what? His life was full of problems and challenges. So if you're a perfectionist, how many guys are perfectionists? You, you're, you're striving. Okay, we got a little a few people honest. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes I can be that way with certain areas of my life. And we got to think like if you have a perfectionistic personality to where, you know, th this, this idea that if I live a, a perfect life, that I'll live a problem-free life. I think that if Jesus couldn't do it, neither can we, right? The word of God teaches us to be realistically optimistic, if we are optimistic without being grounded in reality, we can become a Pollyanna type, which is naive and unrealistic. We can easily become jaded, cynical, pessimistic, and even fat fatalistic, which basically means whatever happens will happen. So there's either balance is really out of kilter and we gotta live right in the middle. So being realistically optimistic is consistent with Jesus's admonition to his disciples. In Matthew 10, 16, it says, be as clever as snakes, and as innocent as doves. So in other words, we gotta, we gotta use our street smarts. We gotta have common sense in this world 
to know what to do, when to do. But then in the same sense, we got to keep our godliness. We got to keep our righteousness in all of this. We can't be losing our cool whenever life doesn't go our way. We got to live in that, in that sweet spot of Jesus. So how do you deal with difficulties and challenges in life? Um, so we now know that inevitably we're going to face some rough times. So how many of you guys are married? Raise your hand if you're married. All right, let's talk about marriages. Um, so if you have marriage difficulties, let's talk about what Billy Graham says. Billy Graham says, for a married couple to expect perfection in each other is unrealistic. And the apostle Paul was blunt when he said, those who marry will face many troubles in life. That's why he didn't get married. <laughs> He's like, ah, that's too much trouble. I got th- too many things to do. Oh, man. So does this mean, okay, all right, so do I need to expect to be, to have an unbearable, miserable marriage? Not at all. God expects us to have growing, thriving marriages because marriage is, is a, a picture of our relationship with him. And so we should strive to be better, more healthy, and growing in our marriage. But we shouldn't be shocked when crazy things happen along the way that we have to work things out, okay? I, I was in ministry school back in 2004 to 2006, and I remember one of my friends that was, uh, was in school, she was, like, she was married for about like 13 years at that time, and she opens up to me. She's like, Cameron, I have never had an argument with my husband ever, and I was like, whoa, 13 years, never had an argument, never had a disagreement? And the more I thought, I was like, wow, that's, I want, and this was before I got married. So in my mind, I'm thinking, when I get married, I'm not going to have an argument. <laughs> the honeymoon <laughs> totally disproved that. We had an argument. I'm just like, how? And I, the longer I got married, I was like, somebody in their relationship was not being completely open and honest. Because if you're in a relationship, if you're in a real relationship, guess what? There's going to be some feuds. There's going to be some arguments here and there. And so I thought about, I was like, you know, how free was this marriage? Because there was no situations that they needed to work out because the, either one person was being walked all over or the one person was just not telling the truth. And so in relationships, sometimes we got to tell the truth. And we got to work things out. It doesn't mean that God's not in it. It means that, hey, we need to bear our heart. We need to work some things out. Okay, so we should not be surprised whenever problems arise in our marriage that we have to work out. Um, Jim Collins said in his book, Good to Great, recounts a conversation he had with an Admiral Jim Stockdale, a decorated war veteran and the highest ranked U.S. military officer to be imprisoned during the Vietnam War. He said, what separates people, Stockdale taught us, is not the presence or absence of difficulty, but how they deal with the inevitable difficulties of life. In wrestling with, with life's challenges, the Stockdale paradox, you must retain faith that you will prevail in the end, and you must also confront the brutal facts of your current reality has proved powerful for coming back from difficulties not weakened, but actually stronger. Isn't that really good? So there's two things that you can kind of take away. Retain your faith, and then also confront brutal facts of your current situation. If there's certain situations that are in your marriage that are white elephants in the room, don't like, okay, God, I'm just praying and I'm just gonna ignore this problem. It's gonna finally go away supernaturally. No, you're gonna have to work on it, all right? So in other words, when you're facing issues in marriage, you have to pray and ask God to work supernaturally in your marriage. That is essential. Bringing God, praying, saying, God, there's this issue in my life, in my marriage. Maybe it's my, in, on my end or maybe it's on my husband or my spouse's end. 
and then hold fast in that truth that God is going to help you and give you wisdom on how to be a better spouse. I pray that every single day, saying, God, help me to be a better husband to my wife. Help me to be a better dad than I was yesterday. Help me to be a better husband than I was yesterday. But then when you have to confront the brutal facts of the current situation you're in, if you have to deal with lusting, you know, looking at pornography, you're going to have to deal with that issue. Um, you know, if you have anger issues, you're going to have to work on being patient and less combative and watch your words and ask the Holy Spirit to help you bite your tongue. If, you're, if you have control issues, you're going to have to ask God to loosen you up a little bit and not be so nagging when things don't go your way and when you want them to happen, okay? If you have a spending problem and you're broke every paycheck, both of you and your spouse are broke, maybe you need to do this thing called a budget. I know it's kind of scary, <laughs> And, you know, but there are certain situations, I mean, honestly, the first five years of my marriage, the biggest argument that we would have was finances. And that's the main thing that breaks up marriages. And, and you know, if you come together financially and you get, you get on the same page, because in most marriages, there's a saver and there's a spender. Can you guess what mine is? Lindy is bougie. <laughs> she like, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> so she's, she's been the spender. But I'm, I'm telling you, over the past, like, I would say 10 years of being married, there's been a shift. She, I'm telling you, my wife can shop, but she can shop and save. She's, I mean, instead of just spending stuff, she can find coupons and all this stuff. And I'm actually really impressed. She has got a, an anointing to shop. I know that seems kind of weird, but God has actually changed our marriage um, and we had to pray and we had to come together. We had to do an Excel spreadsheet. It's not fun doing that kind of stuff, but we have to do the hard stuff for God to work in our marriage. And I, you know, with certain marriages, I don't know if they could last unless you come together and work things out. Okay. So if I'm, if I've mentioned something you need to work in, like there's, there's certain things you're going to have to flesh out. All right. President Theodore Roosevelt said, we must face the facts as they are, we must neither surrender ourselves to foolish optimism nor succumb to a timid and ignoble pessimism. Roosevelt also said, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of strenuous life, the life of toil and effort and of labor and strife to preach the highest form of success, which comes not to the man who desires more easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger from hardship or better toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. So as you say, like, there's going to be some things you're going to have to work through. It's going to be, it's not going to be fun. And the Helen Keller said, a happy life consists not of, not in the absence, but in the mastery of hardships. And out of everybody, I think she mastered that. And there's another excerpt from Tony Book's uh, book, Through the Storms. It says, God is not just the basis of our optimism, but he is also very much a part of our reality. God is real. His promises are real. His presence is real. His power is real. Faith in God does not give us a blanket immunity from all the problems in the world, but it gives us an entirely different framework and perspective on how to deal with problems. Amen? So the faith component does not negate not our doing our part, but we, but as an element of re reliance upon God. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask according to the power that works in us. And Proverbs 21.31 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. The message version reads, do your best, prepare for the rest, 
then for the worst, then trust God to bring victory. My mom always used to say, and she's, she smiles, she says, do your best, Cameron. Study and prepare and do your best and let God do the rest. You know, you can't expect on, on the test day where you, you study maybe just like 15 minutes before and expect God to supernaturally bring everything back to your remembrance. No, you got to do some work. I spit everywhere. Wow, that was big. <laughs> so do your best and let God do the rest. Do everything you can in the natural, prepare. But then whenever that test comes, rely on the Holy Spirit to, to guide you and, and direct you. So notice that these stories, these people were told to prepare for battle. Faith in God is not an excuse to not properly prepare in the natural. So plainly speaking, faith in God does not mean that we should be negligent and practicing areas um, in practical areas. Sometimes there is no quote unquote spiritual attack. I think we give Satan a little bit too much credit sometimes. And we can't, you know, it's, I think the problem that we're facing sometimes is we're facing a spirit of laziness. Yeah, ooh, yeah. <laughs> so we can't, bra- we, we can't blame God when our car breaks down and we haven't changed the oil in like five years. God is super nice. I just feel like it's a spiritual attack. <laughs> now you just haven't, you haven't put gas in the car. It can't run. Like, we can't blame God when our marriages fall apart and we're stuck in pornography or we're cheating on our wife or we're cheating on our husband. God, I just don't understand why my marriage, and, and you've had an anger problem. You can't control your tongue. You're controlling. God, I just, I feel like I'm such a spiritual attack. No, you, you got to shut your mouth. You got to have self-control. Amen? And we can't blame God when we have health issues. And God's been urging you to get on a diet or eat better or exercise more. And I'm like, God, it's just my, my sciatic nerve is compressing. I just can't walk. And God's like, I've been urging you to stop putting down, like to put down the burger and eat, eat a salad at least once a week, you know? So you, you, you got, I mean, there is spiritual attacks, but there's also some things that we need to do in the, in the, in the natural to be obedient to our God who has urged, I'm, I'm talking to myself, y'all. So, so as you see, there's two sides to a miracle. Number one is faith, which is trusting and believing in God's promises and his word that he can do anything, anything, if we believe on our part. And then number two, there's practical where there's an obedient side of things that we have to flesh out, uh, things on our part that God is instructing us to do, and if we don't, he can't move. So there's a two-part you know, thing that God, can, God needs to do in order, in order to work a miracle. Let's go to Nehemiah uh, as he's building the wall. Nehemiah has huge faith, but, but faith didn't stop him from taking things in the natural to prepare to, to build this wall. In Nehemiah 4, 16 through 18, it says, but then only... But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the, the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeteers stayed with me to sound the alarm. So Nehemiah and his men truly believed that the victory was from the Lord, but still in the natural, they prepared themselves for war. While half of the men worked, you know, building, the others stood guard with swords, okay? So similarly, when David faced Goliath, 
He didn't just say, okay, God, I believe that you're going to do this. He's just going to magically fall down, and I'm just going to cut off his head. No, he actually went and got five smooth stones. He got his sling, and then he threw it. But he expected God to be behind that rock. Whenever he did something in the natural, and he shot that, that, that stone, that it was going to embed into Goliath's head, and he was going to fall. So, as you see, like, there's certain things that we have to do to, I mean, in Noah, in the Bible, God told, you know, Noah to build an ark. And if he didn't build that ark for, I think, 90 years, there would be no humanity. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was sweat, blood, tears, some tormenting uh, people that came and tried to antagonize them. Why the heck are you building an ark? We haven't seen, they had not seen rain. They had not seen the waters gushing from the, from the ground. So he was building stuff in the natural for like 90 years. And then all of a sudden, here come this rain and all humanity was wiped out. What if, he just, what if he chose to just sit and pray and say, God, build the ark? I mean, it probably would have been done, but like God commanded him to do his part, right? There's, there's a part that we play in this thing called a miracle, all right? <clears throat> so when God puts his super to our natural, it equals a supernatural occurrence. Amen? So with certain situations in life, we have to give God something to work with in the natural for him to work in that supernatural way. So let's talk about um, hindrances. So Paul actually had a hindrance. Paul was uh, an apostle. He loved, has a, had a, an unwavering love for the church of the, of the, of the age. Um, and he would often go around and visit churches that he felt like needed a little extra encouragement. So in Acts 14, 22, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So while he was trying to revisit certain churches, things didn't go according to plan. There was a little bit of a hindrance. In First Thessalonians 2, 18, it says, Paul talks about a hindrance that kept him from revisiting the believers on more than one occasion. It says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us, okay? So the Greek word uh, that Paul uses here, it translated hindrance, which means to cut in on someone to impede on course by cutting off his way, to detain, to thwart, to impede someone by breaking up the road or by placing an obstacle in their path. So as you see, like Satan was getting in the way. He was preventing Paul from going to this city where he planned on, you know, ministering to these folks. I mean, how many guys have ever seen in a movie where there's a love story and they're dancing and, you know, the, the guy's dancing with, the, with his wife or his girlfriend and stuff. And there's this stupid dude that comes in and says, can I, can I cut in? Has that ever happened to anybody? Right. Okay, no, but that's unrealistic. Because I'm telling you, if, if I was dancing with my wife and some random dude cuts, hey, can I cut in? I might, my inner Will Smith might just get up and... <laughs> I don't think so. No, there's no way. There's no way that nobody's going to cut in between me and my wife. But see, some of us have been letting Satan... I know, I know, I had to. I told Josh, I said, Josh, yeah, I got this, this Will Smith joke. I got it. <laughs> I had to, y'all, I had to. But I'm just saying, but see, some of us, we've been letting Satan impede upon our lives a little bit way too long. 
okay? And we haven't been doing anything about it. We've been letting Satan just walk all over us, all right? And so we, what I have to do every morning, I'm, I'm driving Avalyn to, to school, and she hears me pray. I plead the blood of Jesus over you and over my family and over Lindy, and I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over, even over all the staff members, all the church members. I'm praying over people. But also, I'm saying, Satan, take your hands off of my life. Any plan or plot that you've planned today, I command it to be null and void and ineffective to the power of the blood of Jesus. Any plan, I command it to be dismantled and totally destroyed in Jesus' name, that you're giving me strength to overcome and to see traps that are coming in Jesus' name. That, you have to be proactive. Y'all, I am spitting everywhere. I'm so glad I'm not right. Y'all say, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. You have to be proactive whenever the enemy is trying to impede upon your life, all right? And then Romans, there's another time when, 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 Paul was trying to go to Rome. Romans 1, 13, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Romans uh, 15, 22, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So you see, but Paul eventually made it to Thessalonica. He eventually made it to Rome, but in both cases, it took him a little bit longer than he would have liked. Um, so have you ever felt in your life that you were held back from things that you knew were getting in the way of God's best for your life. Can you relate to Paul? Um, I, I've, I've definitely come into some hindrances in my life. Whenever me and Lindy uh, first got together and God told me that Lindy was supposed to be my wife, not everybody agreed with me. Not everybody saw what I saw. I had some best friends and people that I highly admired were like, no, nah, that is not the one for you. God's got the better. And I, I know that I heard that, I, that Lindy was supposed to be my wife. And so she's my wife and God has been working in our marriage. I'm telling you, she is amazing. And so also um, I experienced hurt and pain uh, in church leadership before I came to Victory Church. And so I actually came to Victory because I knew that I was supposed to come. I heard Pastor Mitch on a, a online, on the website. I think that's when first, like sermons were just coming out on the internet. And, I, and Lindy, actually went here before I did. I was at another church. I was a youth pastor and stuff. And so um, there was some hurt that, that, that went on there. I'm not going to go into it, but just abuse. All right. That's just all I'm going to say. And I was hurt. I was wounded. Uh, and I came here to, to actually get away from ministry. I was just like, I don't want, if, if this is what ministry is all about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm just going to come here I'm just going to, I'm going to do what my dad did. I'm just going to follow in his footsteps as far as a career is concerned. I started going to school uh, to be a graphic artist designer. I just, that's what I was going to do. That's what I was determined. Even though I had already gone to, to ministry school, I was like, I'm, I'm getting away from ministry. It's just too hard. And so <laughs> six months coming here, God was just tearing me up. Every service, I was ah, just bawling my eyes out during worship. Pastor's sermons was hit me in the chest. And I was just growing and growing and growing. And after six months, God's like, no, get, get on back in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm here today. So I'm glad that I chose not to let Satan hinder me from the perfect will of God in my life. And it may be ministry for you. Maybe you've been running away from ministry. I mean, I'm talking to somebody online. You have been running so hard for ministry because you've been hurt in the past. And you feel like, man, I just, I'm not... I'm not equipped, but, but the Holy Spirit has been tagging you. Do not let Satan hinder you from the best that life has for you, the best that God has for you, all right? 
I just felt that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's important. This is my next point. Um, it's important to understand that having faith doesn't mean that you're going to never face difficulties and setbacks in life. Faith means that you persevere and continue to trust God in spite of those setbacks. It also is important not to become overwhelmed and impatient when we do face these setbacks and delays. And so you see the things that are happening, you're like, ah, I'm just going to give up. Some of our, our first instincts is like, you know, this is too hard. I'm just going to throw in the towel. God's like, no, I want you to persevere. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm going to show you. You just got to be patient. Whether it's be believing for healing for your body that you're standing for or a relationship to get better or a job situation to get better or a business opportunity that comes through that you know is from God, stand your ground, trust in God's faithfulness, and he will show himself to you to be faithful. See, Satan does not, um, does actually have influence over the world and is referred to as the little God, puny God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Um, and he does have influence in this natural realm. But however, I think we shouldn't exalt Satan or give him undue attention. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. And he's not omnipresent, right? And has been defeated by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have overwhelming victory in Jesus Christ. Overwhelming. That means it's like, ooh, overwhelming victory in Jesus Christ. Our, our focus needs to be mainly focused on Jesus and, and his promises in his word. We should always focus on the fact that he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. First John 4, 4. So I'm closing, y'all. I'm bringing this to a close. We should not go through life preoccupied and obsessed with thinking about the enemy. That will only exacerbate anxiety and get you focused on the problem rather than, than, the, than the solution. On the other hand, we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices in 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Either extreme has actually put us in a bad situation and a bad predicament, and we have to be balanced. So not every problem we face in life is directly attributable to the devil. Some things happen just because we live into a, in a fallen world and share it with imperfect people. Regardless of where problems come from, we have a God who has promised uh, us that he will always be with us and he will always help us and empower us and deliver us. God never prom promised us a problem-free life when, when giving your life over to him. But what he has promised is to be there for us in every adversity and every challenge. So troubles, this is my next point, troubles in life have the potential to bring about spiritual growth in us. It's very important to think about that. In James 1, 2 through 3, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> that seems so silly. You're like, man, I'm facing so much problems in life. Yay! James is like, dude, count it joy. Because this next verse, it'll, it'll make sense. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I worked out at the gym. That <laughs> sounds kind of funny. I need, to, I need to go back to the gym. But I got addicted to the gym. I got addicted to going to Planet Fitness. I mean, it, me and Lindy would go at like three, no, one in the morning. Well, of course, when we didn't have Avalyn. And I, it was like I was, and I was looking forward to, to exercising my muscles. 
And so some of us, we need to be waking up every morning saying, God, I know I'm going to be facing a difficulty today. I know that I'm facing this boss that I just want to rip his head off. I think my children are getting on my last nerve, but God, thank you. That is an opportunity to grow myself and sharpen me and, and, and cut away. Whenever you sharpen a knife, you cut away, you know, metal. And it's sometimes it's, it, there's friction. There's, uh, it's, in a sense, like if you were a knife, <laughs> there'd be pain. Um, but in the end, it sharpens you. And so whenever you face situations, it's going to sharpen you. It's going to make you a more effective tool for the ministry of Jesus Christ. So when you're facing, op- facing uh, situations where you, you don't find rest and you're, 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 it's, it's really hard, just think, man, this is an opportunity for God to work in my life. All right, so Israelites facing a huge uh, issue in the Old Testament. God speaks to them in Exodus 33. Uh, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. Um, I wanna leave you with this statement. God is not a shuttle to take us out of the battle. He's our refuge in the midst of it. Amen? And so I want to give you four action points to kind of leave on. Uh, when you're facing a problem, I want, to, I want you to do number one, pray and listen to the voice of God. John six sixty three says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you. They are full of the Spirit and life. Isaiah thirty twenty one. Your ears, your own ears will hear, hear him. Right behind you, a voice will, will say, this is the way you should go, whether to be to the right or to the left. And then the LASB notes say, when the people of Jerusalem left God's path, he would correct them. He will do the same for us. But when we hear his voice of correction, we must be willing to follow it. All right, so when you're facing a difficulty, pray, and then also take time to just sit. Sometimes it just, I mean, it could be 10, 20, 30 minutes, but like pray and just sit and listen for the spirit of God. And he's gonna be in that still small voice. You gotta turn the radio off, turn everything off and just listen to him. Number two, rejoice and worship in the face of problems. Philippians 4, 4 and 7 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Then you will experience God's peace. So I would say sometimes whenever you're facing situation, just laugh in the face of the enemy laugh in the face of the enemy because honestly that confuses the enemy he's like man i just i just pulled this trap and he's sitting there rejoicing what the heck is what and then it says if you do this then you will experience god's peace so you're dancing on some graves you're dancing in the face of the enemy and people are looking at like what is going why why are they so happy it's because it's the peace of god okay which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds from, I would say, future attacks of the enemy as you live in Christ. Not on your own, but in Christ, okay? So number three, be patient and don't make hasty decisions. Some of us, we make really dumb decisions whenever we're faced with certain circumstances and we make some life-altering mistakes. So take some time, don't spend that money right off just yet. Don't go into that relationship just because just because this one ended and God ended it, okay? Romans 12 to us is rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. See how that works, prayer and waiting? Romans 8, 25 says, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently 
and confidently, knowing that you've heard the Holy Spirit. Number four, seek counsel from pastors or mentors in your life. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. If you do not have a mentor, if you do not have somebody speaking into your life, I would advise get one today. Come to one of us. Come, I mean, you know, it's good to have somebody. It's good to have uh, a spiritual father. It's good to have a, a spiritual mother or a brother in Christ. Um, if you don't have that, you're living life on your own. And I believe that there's been countless times where God has spoken through Mira or spoken through Josh or spoken through people that I have deep relationships with that encourage me. And so if you don't have that, I, I, that that's a great arsenal in your, in your tool against the enemy, okay? Why don't you stand real quick and we'll, we'll, we'll end. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have promised us that you will be with us in times of trouble. And God, I pray that every person in this place, whether they're facing uh, little trouble or life-altering troubles, Lord God, that they see no way out. God, I pray that today that they would know that you are with them, that you are instructing them. God, I pray that they would hear your voice above all the voices of the enemy that are trying to lie to them in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that they would be patient that they would be patient and not make hasty decisions. God, I pray that they would seek, take time to seek your voice, to hear from you, God, in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they would take time to get a mentor, to pour their heart out to somebody, and to get wise counsel, whether it be from their mother, whether it be from their father, whether it be from a, a, church, um, a church leader. In Jesus' name. God, I pray that they will realize that they're not living life alone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.